Hey everybody, Jason here. Before we get started, I wanted to give a special message uh, directly to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast audience about this episode, about the last couple of episodes, and a few that are coming up as well. So I wanted to give a shout out to everybody uh, in podcast land who has reached out and who uh, I've spoken with. I want to say thank you very much. So you know, my content, uh, what I'm putting out, is definitely in a much different direction than what the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast has traditionally been. So, you know, Peter and Mike and Steve and Colin, everybody else that's involved, very much, you know, let's get some games to the table, co-op and solo and, you know, all that's good stuff. And then here comes Jason talking about, you know, culture and uh, diversity, inclusion, more inclusive hobby. Uh, And, you know, it could be a little bit of a disjunction. Uh, And I, some (laughs) listeners have definitely uh, said and noticed and, uh, but others have definitely responded well. And I think uh, I think the variety of the podcast has improved. And uh, so I want to say just thank you uh, very much. So uh, this particular episode, I want to take the time because this is a conversation that I had with Bruno Fiduti. He is a, a very, very famous game designer, a designer of Citadels and a couple of other uh, very highly social games. So in this particular conversation, uh, it's not a, we're not going to address games that are co-op and solo. Uh, however, I wanted to put it on the podcast, A, because people like the podcast format. Uh, so if you wanted to see the video show, you can go ahead and hop over to Shelf Stories, see the video show. Uh, on the podcast, uh, it's easier for people to you know listen while they're walking their dog and stuff. Um, even though uh, you know we're not going to discuss uh, co-op games in particular, the entire project here is getting people Getting gamers to cooperate. The title of this episode is How uh, Europeans and American Gamers Can Understand One Another. In a way, I'm you know trying to do the cooperative thing just for life and for us as gamers, even if we don't always discuss games, uh, co-op games at the table. So it's something it's a mission. I truly believe in it. I've spoken with Peter uh, uh, and Mike and everybody else about it, and they're on board. And I try to be careful. Not everything I do on Shelf Stories comes in the one-stop co-op shop podcast, only things that I feel are very important. So I uh, just wanted to give that flag out here. I think this conversation in particular, because Bruno and I are coming at it from very different perspectives, but we're trying to forge um, a brotherhood and cooperate as gamers to make a, a better hobby overall. A rising tide raises all boats. So always welcome to feedback. Welcome to uh, you know interactions. Uh, how I can continue to provide content for you, the one-stop co-op shop audience that you want to listen to. Uh, thank you very much for uh, all the feedback that I've received. Okay, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this special treat of a conversation. You don't often get genuine disagreement, civil disagreement, disagreement in, uh, you know, it's kind of a brotherly feeling on the interwebs, but we are going to try our best here. It's very exciting for me. So as everybody knows who listens to my you know, content, whether it's on the video show or the podcast, I have some things to say about Euro games. I have some things to say about the way Euro games treat history in particular. 
But that doesn't mean that I hold anything personal towards game makers. It doesn't mean I, I can't, you know, speak and learn. Uh, but, you know, I'm 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 in the, in the game a couple of years. I'm talking to designers who have been in the game 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, so I'm a, in a learning mode as well when it comes to this stuff. So I'm, ex I'm excited to have a conversation. So I've had a couple of online conversations with this man. He is the designer of many of your favorite games. You may know Citadels. Uh, more than any. Also, uh, the underrated Raptor. I, I will talk about Raptor in just a second, but I think that game is ex outstanding. Uh, <laughs> and a number of them, Dragon's Gold and uh, a couple of other games. Uh, so uh, he is a Spiel des Yard nominee, and he has been in the game for a very, very long time. He is Bruno Faduti. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Jason, I'm sweet to be here. I think we have Lots of things to discuss because I've always, I've, I've also been, I'm also interested in trying to understand how games and especially Euro games, the ones I am making, deal with history. But, you know, I would say that my point of view is maybe a bit different from what you just said. Mm -hmm. In that it says that I have issues with what we are doing. Mm. It's more that I think I'm interested in understanding why we are doing it. Okay. Uh, I don't think games are that important. Uh, you know, it's for me, it's a bit like music, like language. It's things which are, especially like language, it's things that it's probably less important than we think. Mm -hmm. But what is important is understanding what we are doing mm -hmm. and so, also understanding uh, how the other person receives and, and they, the message so it's like we can have a game and one person has one reaction another person has another reaction mm -hmm. and it's yeah. worth understanding you know where the other person is coming from because the last thing we want to do is we want to say well you're wrong and you're bad that's we, we don't want i don't want to do I, personally i do not want to do that that's not what i want to do uh, so yeah, we can go. We can totally get into it. We can totally get into it. Uh, but first of all, tell the people a little bit about yourself and your your background. Uh, Bruno Faduti is not a, a name that comes up in our circles. I, I do cooperative games, and I, and that's not where uh, you're famous for. At least you're more in the social end of things in terms of the games we would really know. Uh, but tell tell the people a little bit about your background and uh, some of the things that you've done. I, I mentioned a couple of games, but you could tell the people a little bit a bit more. Okay, so. I'm not only a game designer, I'm still a teacher. I'm teaching sociology and economics in high school. Uh, I also have a PhD in history, uh, but it deals with, say, not very problematic issues, which is because it's mostly, you know, it's discussion about the existence of the unicorn in the late Middle Ages and European Renaissance, but I've recently written a big book about unicorns in which I deal with uh, relations between the stories that were told in Europe and in the rest of the world, uh, especially in the Arab world, because it's a lot of interesting uh, mix. Uh, so I'd say half of my working life is teaching half is designing games mm. uh 
I try to make games that you cannot play with a computer because I think you know computers are better for lots of things. Mm -hmm. So you, if we want still to do something as human, we have to focus on what computers can't do, and that's what I try to do with my games. Games which are fun, which engage people in fun ways, in social ways, and mm -hmm. well, I think that's it. And yes, I have about a hundred games and last published one, which I think is not talked a lot about, not talked a lot about is the Trollfest, which I, I co-opt. Mm. So, wow. Okay. So uh, actually speaking of that, uh, so I'm a psychotherapist. So I oh. have people who uh, come to me and I, they have, they're my clients and they're suffering from some kind of mental distress or, and I especially, uh, you mentioned high school. I, I deal with high school kids. Uh, high school, young adult kids, people who are struggling with depression, loneliness. Uh, I, I don't know, just like all sorts of stuff. And I have a very small suite of games that I use in therapy with kids that are, I feel like, uh, awaken something and challenge something in them. So like a game like Star Realms is good because they can have their personal hand of cards and it's a very simple game. We go back and forth. Um, Raptor is on that list. Uh, Raptor is was a co-design with we call it the Brunos, right? Bruno Katala. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Game, it, it's uh, if I can get this game, you know, in print expanded, I don't, I'm gonna sing this thing for the rooftop because I think it's outstanding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because uh, it's a two player game, uh, and we it's perfect, it's very it's short, and it's perfect for the therapy setting. Uh, because it's very like read your opponents, you know, uh, one player is the with the Raptors, another player is the um scientist and the, the raptors are trying to either escape from the scientists or eat them or and the scientists are trying to capture the uh the the mama the raptors so then it's back and forth right ah, and then, well, you, you know we will talk we will probably talk about you know borderizing uh games mm -hmm. and you know in the raptor okay we say they are scientists but it's obvious that they are just hunters mm. Okay. Well, actually, it's well. Funny it's written thing. scientists in the rules. We but are. We know we're, we're we talking know. about. We're talking about. Okay, good. This is the subject of the conversation. We're talking about what games say and how games say it and how people receive it because Americans can you know, tend to receive games differently than other uh, cultures, especially in Europe. So, like that's what we're talking about, and that's where our conversation started. So we can start there with Raptor. So yes, the rule book. So okay, I, I just described this game. The rule book says scientists. The rule book is trying to tell you with its with its what I call global narrative that this is a um this is for science. So like you don't have to feel bad about capturing these little babies because they're gonna go to a lab and you're gonna experiment on them. And, but but the game doesn't tell you that. The game only gives you that as a narrative on the board. The little pieces. The all the little all little pieces have tranquilizer guns. They're not. They, there's nobody with a sign. There's nobody with a little uh, magnifying glass. There's nobody with slides. It's just a bunch of guys with guns. And so, what Bruno has the, the magic again. The magic of board games. Uh, what they've done is they've put the player. And I and I um when I do therapy, usually the players pick the hunters because I called them scientists. Which makes them feel oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, doing yeah, a, you know. I'm doing a bad thing, but I'm doing it for science. 
And so, uh, <laughs> so talk talk a little bit about that before we get into the main topic. What um, what, I'm I'm guessing that was intentional, right? I, I mean, how do you how do you, how do you find that, and how do you react to that? What, what, you, you know, when we designed the game for us, it was they were hunters. It's obvious, and then we say, okay, it's not a nice story, and I don't remember if it was our idea or the publisher's idea to change them into scientists but uh, maybe we even did it but you know we did it in part because we knew it was necessary if we really want to sell the game but it was also intended as a kind of joke because it's so obvious when playing that they are just hunters Mm. it's it's funny though like because okay so we're so we know jurassic world and jurassic park and we know that uh, so, I, actually, I've never seen any of this movie. Ah, okay. So we know Jurassic Park. So what we so what we associated in American concept because it's such a popular movie here. Like, so we're used to seeing the hunters go out and you know capture the animals, and the and the hunters are the scientists in the movie. You know, the scientists mm-hmm. are the action heroes that are we, that are wielding the weapons yeah. and everything, and then it's the same thing. So like we so that and that's how I pitched the game. It's like, okay, hey, you want to play a quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To play a Jurassic Park and oh yeah sure, uh, so we're Ooh. able to make that immediate association and it's so funny to hear you say like you know it's all in our heads, and it's all in our associations that the way we're doing that that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you're massively entertained by that. That's great. <laughs> okay, so um, so let's talk to uh, let's talk about the uh, project that initiated this conversation. Uh, so yeah. it is not a secret at this point that I was the cultural consultant that was responsible for the retheme of Puerto Rico. And uh, people who've listened to this podcast are probably you know a little bit tired of the intro because I, I got to read it every single time because I don't want to take take for granted that people know. Um, so, yeah, I I'm the person that did that. Uh, well, I, I was the consultant and I work with the company. I should say that because the company was great. The company was outstanding. Uh, and I'm not going to mention anything about the company. I'm not going to mention anything about the, the actual process because we still have some reveals to do. You know, we, we've only revealed a cover and a few details. There's a lot more reveals to come as, as I record this. But I think just from whatever has been released so far, there's been a lot of conversation. A lot. Uh, so, um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess I could t- say it from my perspective, but I think uh, I think it'll be uh, talking from your perspective, you know, so how you reacted to the project and the conversation. Let me invite you to share your thoughts and then we can start from there. Okay, so, you know, my thoughts are probably influenced by the fact that, you know, I wrote a very long article about these colonial terms in board games something like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and which was maybe one of the things that started the discussion on these terms, I think, because at the moment it was a bit the, the elephant in the room, and now everybody is talking about it. Right. Uh, and I've been a bit surprised, you know, on one, and the two examples I gave in my article at the beginning were Puerto Rico and five tribes, but, and Catan also, but there was some discussion about Puerto Rico. Uh, and I've been very surprised by how things have have evolved from this mm-hmm. and the discussion, especially in the US, because 
as I say before, when we were discussing, maybe it was before you started recording, I don't remember. Uh, I think my point was not really to say we should stop doing this. My point was more, we should try to understand why we are doing this. We should try to understand why we have this image. Uh, because, of course, it's, I think it's first time I played Kata and I said, okay, we are going there, but where are the natives? Mm -hmm. First time I played Puerto Rico, it was obvious that, okay, these are scales. And they even made them brown. Maybe mm. we would not have had this reaction if they were not brown. But, you know, it was kind of thing to say, okay, we know we are doing it, but we are not saying it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think I wanted to understand what's behind this. And I think it would be more honest, but mostly more clear about ourselves to say, mm -hmm. okay, we have this image and we are playing with this image and we are not clearly saying it. And uh, so my problem was, I think, mostly with representation. Mm -hmm. When I think you, tell me if I'm wrong, but your problem when uh, this consulting of the new edition of Puerto Rico was more about agencies and representation, more about what people are really doing in it. Yes. Uh, uh, it's fun because, you know, I remember in the few messages we exchanged before this uh, discussion, uh, you quoted, uh, I think, one historian, which was uh, Howard Zinn. Mm -hmm. Yes. And my uh, article is full of quotes by Edward Said. Mm -hmm. And yes. I think it's, uh, it's really the two two different ways of criticizing this, uh, this view on history. It's, mm -hmm. it's a problem of representation. It's a problem of agency. Mm -hmm. And so, ah, so that's why, for me, I would have liked to see maybe just the origin of Puerto Rico, but with a note writing, okay, we know that this are slaves. We know that when we published it, uh, it was difficult to say, etc. I think it would be interesting to read this. Well, that's, but I also think that's what I was saying at the beginning that in the end, maybe, maybe it's also maybe not that important. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's more important to discuss the problems than to solve it. <laughs> okay. 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 You're very good. Oh, you, you laid it out. You laid it out. So it's like, okay. Um, I So this is why conversations like this are so valuable because we're pretty close, right? And like, I, it's funny because I remember you mentioned in the, in the uh, article or in the back and forth that you were coming from a Marxist perspective. Me too. <laughs> Me too. We're, we're sharing a lot of same things. Uh, so, and, and also in the sense of, um, I think there's a lot of gamers. I mean, a lot of gamers. That even, you know, because I read your article, I remember reading it back in the day, um, maybe not white when it come out, but like around when I was thinking about this stuff 
about um, the colonialism, the Orientalism, and then a couple of other things that sure. are happening on the table. And still, you know, people don't see it. I think there is a large section of the ga of gamers that say, okay, it's just a game. It's just fiction. There's nothing to see, nothing going on here. Nobody, everybody calm down. Nobody cancel anything. Uh, it's just a game. And so like, and they'll even say like to my face, like I'm putting it in there. Or like they would say to you, you're putting it in there. Like it's it's just it's just cardboard and chits, you know. There it, it a game can't do that. A game can't evoke colonialism or evoke slavery or anything like that. They just and so it's like that's clearly wrong. But a lot of people feel that way. So uh, you know, yeah. in in a in a way, uh, okay, no, 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 I, no yeah, go ahead. In a, in a way, it's just a game. Uh, it's just a game in that I think it cannot teach, it cannot really affect reality. But it's not just a game because we put in it our vision of the world. So it's more a descriptive part. I think you making politics with uh, board games, it's a bit like making politics with songs. It's, it's nice, it's cute, mm -hmm. but it can only be very superficial. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I, what I will say. Right. So it's not completely wrong to say that it's just a game. It's important to say it because it means don't mix games with reality. They have relation. What we are showing in the game is an image of reality. But we must not forget that it's just a game. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a tension. It's hard to hold that. <laughs> I would say that. Very hard to hold that because I think that... I think that there are people who fall on both sides and they fall off the, the the edge on both sides. Like they'll say they'll take it either not seriously enough because it is what you're saying before. Ooh, this is making me feel gross. And it's negating some feelings that people have when playing it. Like you have the feelings, you know, and you know, you're a European designer, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, I'm playing colonization Rob. This isn't, I don't love this. And let me talk about it. Your reaction is different. Your reaction is let me talk about it. Your, your reaction is not, okay, let's cancel it or whatever it is, where mine would be a little bit closer to that, I guess. Well, we'll talk about that in a bit. And then there's some people who take it way serious. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. Um, okay, actually, um, maybe I want to ask about that. Do you, do you feel like, and this is something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, I'm going to be very straightforward here um, on purpose because I've, I've spoken with some Euro designers. I've had Ignacy Trevacek on the show. Uh, and a couple of others that I've talked to behind the scenes as a consultant. And the overwhelming sense is that Americans can take games a little bit too seriously. We take game themes a little bit too seriously, especially when it comes to this cultural stuff. Uh, is that something that you're prepared to speak to? Is that something that you're prepared to talk about in terms of the reaction, yes. the difference? Yes. I, I would not say that you are... It's not only about games. It's the same with movies, for example. Okay. Culture. It's, we take culture too seriously. Yeah. 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 Well, it's not that you take culture too seriously. It's that you take uh, fantasy words or things which are not the real world too seriously. Uh, I will take another example, which is linked to games. I've seen a few this recent discussions. I've seen it on Facebook. You know about racism in Dungeons and Dragons and racism yes. against orcs and dark elves. 
And okay, but first the problem with this fantasy universe, I think, is not that there are better races and worse ones. The problem is the way races are described, which is extremely essentialist. Yes. Much more, they are very, very, you know, like biologically different, etc., etc. And this is not addressed. They just say it's racist because some races look better than other. And but anyway, anyway, I don't think racism against dark elves or orcs is a strong social issue. I even don't know if it's bad. Maybe it's good because it helps us to see how our society works. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be bad to completely erase this in this fantasy world because we would not see what's happening in, the, in reality. And it's, a, it's, it's the same in movie. When, you know, when I see a discussion uh, about political discussion in America these days, sometimes it feels like it's more you know, uh, parity between men and women and diversity and all that stuff is more important, you know, in spaceship teams and superhero teams and than it is in governments and board of directors, mm-hmm. of which no one talks. And so I sometimes wonder if the American left is not, you know, going into a trap, which is, Dealing with fantasy instead of dealing with reality. Interesting. And it comes with this idea that if we solve the problems here, it has some influence of the way we think, etc., etc., and which will help us solve the problem in reality. I'm not that sure. Uh, so I, we definitely have an issue. Like, and I'll, and I'll say this, and I have said this on my show, that changes in culture will result in changes in the real world right if we address our fiction if we address our the way we you know and i i focus on games clearly so like okay i'm very big on like let's get some change in games uh and my naive maybe i don't know like i, I it's what i can affect right and i want to be able to think that like okay if i am able to change some theme or if i'm able to move things around then for the positive right you know because what i'm doing is i'm taking some of this colonial stuff out and i'm giving it to the people like Howard Zinn style, you know, Marxist Ooh. style. It's like, okay, I want, I want the people to rise. So then if I put that, if I, if I put that in my board games, if other people put that in their cultural media, then that has an effect, right? That has an effect in the real world. And I think that there's a, and I'm hearing a skepticism and that's okay. You know, we can disagree on that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. I think that we can have a civil disagreement about that. Here's what I'll say. Uh, here's my response to that. So um, speaking for the American left, you know, someone who, so a perspective. That mm-hmm. I so I think what I'm hearing is the big thing that you want us to be able to discuss, right? The big thing that you want us to be able to have these media that present difficult things and po- the old Puerto Rico presented a difficult thing. And, you know, certain movies present difficult things and these you're want to, you want to be able to keep them where they are and be able to discuss, right? Mm. You know, like yeah. basically, yes. Basically, I mean, obviously we're oversimplifying, but I want to be able to get a point of you know disagreement. Yeah. So my point is, if the original Puerto Rico were able to generate a better discussion, then I would have no problem. But I don't think it can. I don't think the conversations that Puerto Rico generates are worthwhile discussions. 
So that's my that's I think that's the American left point where it's like we say, oh, discuss, discuss, discuss. But like the way our media comes to us, it the kinds of discussions that come out are they don't lead to liberation. They don't lead to progress. They just keep us in this stasis thing that is not that's not good for us because I'm on, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not hierarchy up. I'm, you know, I'm from an island that is very that is still colonized. You know, and that's where, uh, so that's another thing. I sh- I'll bring that into the conversation now. Um, my, I mean, I, my, my country is not liberated. My country is still colonized. Mm-hmm. Just last week, we had a massive protest, thousands of people in the streets because they, the, um, they're jack- like they privatized our power, and they're jacking the rates, and there, and there's yeah, more I've blackouts, yeah, yeah. and there's more blackouts, and there's just, I mean, we have corruption up and down, and so. That comes from our colonial heritage. Like we've always been a colony and it just keeps on going and going. 1510 is not that different from 2022 in terms of the position of colonial powers. So it's very difficult, A, to be reminded of that in a game. That's where the difficulty of Puerto Rico came. Not that it would put us in the position of colonizer, but it like we're still colonies, <laughs> you know, like I didn't, mm. this didn't stop. So it, it's a little bit, when it comes to someone like me, especially it, it's, it's a little bit closer to home than a European who doesn't know our history, but I mean, you just don't have mm. life experience. So that's number one. Mm. Um, number two, the, you like the, the slaves can't liberate themselves. It goes back to that agency point. So in fact, the, the game can't even imagine a situation where the, the slaves win. Or the slaves achieve any kind of victory because they're so inert, they're so passive, they're just there. So that that's not history. I mean, that, the, the overseers were very afraid, very cognizant of <laughs> of rebellion and running away, and mm. you know they're they're very cognizant of that, and that's why that's why the discipline was so hard. So that's why the, the laws were the way they were. So a game like Puerto Rico erased all of that. It it erased too much. In order to have a good conversation, you need good source material. And the source material kind of erased everything. It's like kind of having a conversation off a coloring book. Mm, you know, yeah. it, that's not going to make a good conversation. It, you're just kind of bringing in your own preconceptions. If if the Puerto Rico engine were richer, or the Puerto Rico engine said more. Yeah, but it's 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 a Euro game. It's not but you made right. to me. Yeah. Okay. And, and so that's uh, I guess I, that's my point. I, so like, I, I, yeah. yeah, and at, at its heart, it doesn't want to be a game about history. Right. Yes. And maybe it could have had another setting. And in a way, this new version changes the setting. So, yeah. so I think yeah, that could be a very, very complex game with all this story about slaves and overseers and rebellions, etc., etc., etc. Uh, but it would be another game. Right. It would be more complex. Like, in order to make a good history, you but, have to make a lot of complexity in there. And Puerto Rico doesn't want to be... The original Puerto Rico yeah, engine yeah. does not want to be that. But, so my so I just I, finished the point. I apologize. Why don't you just finish the point? So my point is, if the Puerto Rico engine is going to change, because and that, that's clear. It's a classic game. It's an evergreen no, game. You don't yeah, touch yeah. evergreen games. It's uh, obvious. It's, you just don't touch them. Uh, so then my decision was, okay, it could go one of two directions. It could either put in more mechanisms to have more, you know, of the the stuff that happened, the slave rebellions and the oppression and all that kind of stuff. Or it could just go a whole different direction and take out those colonialist aspects, one or the other. And so I hear what you're saying. It might have been better discussion point to bring in some of that, highlight some of that other stuff. But I just, 
I, I don't think the discussions that we've been like we've had this game for 20 years. I haven't heard, I had a single good discussion about <laughs> Puerto Rico. I'm like, it's just it it just stays in that whole the colonialists were inevitable and it's so bad to be a colonialist. I don't care about how bad it was. I don't care about the colonialist feelings. The this game can only put me in the mindset of the colonialist, and I don't care about that person. I don't. Not without caring about the colonized. And and Puerto Rico cannot make me care about the colonized at all. So that's why I wanted to go in a different direction with it. So I'm guessing you disagree with no, it, no, at no. least in terms of discussion. Uh, no, no, I, 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 see, I, I see this. Uh, I, I think maybe if there were not this first version, what you are doing in what should have been done. But, you know, I, when, I probably disagree with you when you say that uh, there has been no interesting discussion. You know, it's... It's not such a big signal game. Uh, and I think there was one interesting discussion about Puerto Rico is why did we not say that these are slaves? And I think this discussion mm. was enough, was enough to make the game interesting in a way. So I think it's not true that there was no good discussion. There was no good discussion about the game system in itself. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not made for this. But I think there has been a few interesting discussions about the game setting. Okay. Are we about this fact that... We agree yeah. to disagree on that. But let's go to that colonist <laughs> piece, because that was one of the things that got me... You know, we call the slaves colonists. And it's funny we began the discussion on Raptor, because I feel like it's the exact same reason why Raptor called their human scientists and not hunters. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're okay. You know, if it were only for me, I think it would be better to call the uh, scientist uh, hunters in Raptor. Uh, with maybe one difference with Puerto Rico, which is that I think Raptor is sometimes played by kids, which is probably not the case of Puerto Rico, yeah. which is definitely an adult game. So, but yeah, in, in a way, it's the same. With, with a small difference that Puerto Rico is a, not a small difference, is a real historical historical setting. Mm -hmm. So it's it makes things a bit different. But, you know, I think it's uh, the story about Puerto Rico and Catan, which made that uh, when we made a new edition of uh, Mission Red Planet, I don't know if you've played this game, mm -hmm. and uh, when we made a new edition of Mission Red Planet, I added just for fun a card which is native resistance. So mm -hmm. there are natives on Mars. It's just one little card. It's, it's as a kind of joke. But for me, it was a way to say, okay, yeah, there should be something. There should be this pun, in this kind of pun in every game about this kind of setting. We won't change the game, and it's not an historical setting either. But, you know, it was this kind of small things. Uh, but yes, you're right that what was done with Raptor is not very different. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's for sales. And it's for sales and it's for sales and it's for people's yeah. comfort. You know, I think it was... Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, you, you've mm -hmm. discussed it probably with the publisher, so you know it better than me. I, I, I cannot confirm nor deny my conversation yes. with the publisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm not sure that with Puerto Rico it was for sales. Maybe it was just I didn't really realize it. I don't know. 
I think, okay, so they didn't change the word until 2020. Like 2020, they just was the first time they really acknowledged that these were, you know, slaves and this is a slave game, basically. Because like, in the 2020 version, they put it in the blurb. Before them, they didn't have it. So we had whatever it was, 18, 19 years of discussion to... Uh, you know, there wasn't a secret at that point, so they ne- they hadn't changed, they hadn't addressed it until then. So I don't know. Okay, so maybe so. Okay, and this is something about know. your, and this is something about European history, right? I mean, you're, and this is something yeah, that yeah. maybe you can comment on this. I mean, it's Puerto Rico is not the only game. Like the Euro designers since the '90s have kind of reached around the world and made games about. We have Istanbul. You know, we have um, Quest for El Dorado and uh, Bora Bora and these all these. There's so many games uh, from the Euro. I, I think that's fair to say Eurocentric perspective, and they kind of all do the same thing. Like they kind of all erase native stuff and they you know file down the labor. Like they all kind of make colonization kind of a happy thing. It's not just Puerto I, Rico, right? I, I think. Maybe in the way you, you talked about Istanbul. I think Istanbul, the problem is not colonialism. It's not colonialism. It's just this kind of orientalist caricature. So I, I, I associate those two things. Let's talk, can you please define for yeah, people yeah, what yeah. orientalism is? I'd love for you to define it for people. Okay. Uh, I'd say orientalism is the way the West, most things and Let's say from well, let's say mostly in the nineteenth century, build a kind of fantasy vision of the Orient, mm. and fantasy vision which can be you know a bit different, but which uh, it was a fan- fantasy not only the Orient also of, of Africa and Middle East and you know and Japan and China, and it was not a you know, there is a sentence I really love. It's uh, Oscar Wilde who say that, say that, you know, maybe the rule of Japan is just an invention. Uh, maybe just something we invented. And in a way, we invented an East and the South, which are have some relations with reality, mm-hmm. some uh, something, you know, some buildings and some kind of, but with all of an iconography and an imagination stuff and which has been uh, pasted upon it and well, that, that's orientalism, that's this way we didn't really try to understand, we just built kind of fantasy image so there's a, a little piece missing. I'll pull it in. It wasn't just to build it in our image. It was to commodify it and sell it. Like that's yeah. a, it's it's ultimately also. a Marxist critique. So like, you know, we commodified Japan. Like, so we took yeah. this and- land with all these tribes and all this history. Mm. We made it Japan. We picked a couple things like pakodas and samurais and, all, you know, the, the, the stuff we you normally know, associate with it so that we could sell it. Right. And so that we can sell to it's- our, our own markets. Is that fair? But you know, we are not the only doing this. Japan is doing this with the West now in a very efficient way. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, uh, German, the, uh, Germans love our Western. The, the, so. the, the, the vision, the vision of of Germany in uh, Japanese animes is extremely interesting. They are doing exactly the same we did with them. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, actually, I love looking at this. This is yeah. This is not unique to the West, right? It's not. We we all do it yeah. because but, we're human. But we made it first, and we made it more. That's certain. And it's done. Okay, so this is where we're gonna we're definitely gonna disagree on this, but I'll put it from perspective. I think the the Western Orientalism has done more damage. So it's it's done some things uh, in terms of accessing, but probably, I also think it's yes. done damage. Yeah, you know, because yeah, what yes, so yeah. see the British in India. In, right. You know, when you see the, the social structure in India now, it's part of traditional India. It's part of fantasy India brought back by the British. Right. The caste, caste system was not so strong before the British came. But they decided it was the heart of India. And in a way, they made it so. Mm-hmm. And this is not a podcast about India. I could talk your head off about that too. (laughs) But I mean, the idea being that, you know, so Orientalism is a process of erasure and re-representation. So that's really what it is. Like, you know, we are, we we can't, you know, we can't, you know, present to the peoples all of Egypt or all of Japan or all the Middle East or all the Caribbean or whatever. It's too big. So it has to be made comprehensible. So it's like, we have to erase some things. So then... I think where I want to have a critique is what got erased, and 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 in a way now this you know tourism around the world, mostly from Westerners, is just this consequence of Orientalism. It's just the uh, just the end of this, right? Because yeah. because it's starting to come back. <laughs> you know we we had all the all the colonial. We are going period. to see. But we are going to see what we want to see. And so they did what we want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, when I wrote my book about unicorns, uh, there was this fantastic uh, sentence by David Livingstone, British explorer, saying that, well, you know, it was in the 19th century. In Africa, they know that Westerners are looking for gods, tailored men, and unicorns. So when you come there, they just tell you that there are there are gold, tailored men, and unicorns. So in a way, the fantasy uh, Africa becomes a real Africa. Great, great. Uh, and so I'm going to touch briefly on the political stuff, and I'll probably you know, kind of give a warning about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when I talk about the fantasy becoming reality, so we had a president uh, who was uh, uh, Donald Trump, yeah, and he would. Like at one point he was talking about the Caribbean. It was one of talk he was talking about like you know uh, our place uh, or like and even Africa, and he called them quote unquote countries. You visit those countries, there's good and there's bad, like any other country, and, and there is poverty. But I feel like that part of what he was operating on were these fantasized notions of poor countries. Africa is poor. That's it, and that's that's a very kind of essentialized. Uh, vision of Africa, and so in that person's mind, then they they made that conclusion. This is a asshole country, so that's that'd be no problem if it was just like a person. <laughs> if it was just like you know, person like I, I was at a table with, like okay, that person has an opinion, whatever. Mm. That's the leader of the free mm. world as for a, a period. There there was policies that were enacted to maintain power structures. So when Americans look at culture, we're looking at that. We're looking at how cultural messages eventually get into the minds of people in power and how those people in power implement 
their their visions. That's that in order to help try to help you understand what we're looking at. That's what we're looking at. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm I, I'm not sure I got your point. Okay. Uh, okay, so I mean, we're talking about cultural messages in board games, and there's Orientalism yeah. and colonialism and mm. a lot of yeah, difficult yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, but and it's I, like, I, I, right. I don't see the, I don't see what Donald Trump's remarks have to do with this. That, though, I mean. That countries like that are poor, we can't help ourselves. Matter of fact, that's what that, that that's another thing that he said. Like because someone actually mentioned about Puerto Rico to him, and he says, "Well, they need to help themselves," as if we're not trying, <laughs> as if we're yeah, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah, of course, and so yeah. like I'm and so now I have a, I'm so I'm playing a board game where like the natives aren't helping themselves. The natives are just like doing the work of a colonizer. Yeah. So yeah. like, okay, am I making too strong a link? Obviously, I'm skipping some steps. But I think the general point is that a there's a lot of culture because of Orientalism, colonialism, all these things that put out the message that like countries like Africa, uh, you know, the Caribbean, other places that are historically poor can't help ourselves. We can't do anything. So it, when a powerful person gets that idea, they reproduce mm -hmm. oppressions. Yeah, that's kind of the 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 links that we're seeing here in the American left. And we see it because, and I can't speak for the people who are privileged and they take on left. I can't speak for that. I can only speak for myself who, you know, grew up with a family in Puerto Rico. It's, we face a lot of that stereotype from powerful people. Yeah. And we wonder where, where those stereotypes come from. And we're trying to like kind of change the quality of the water, so to speak, in order to try to get different <laughs> ideas out there. That's what we're trying to do. I, I mean, does that, do you understand that point? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah I, I completely agree with this. Oh, yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> <laughs> so here's where we differ. This is for me, this is why Puerto Rico had to change. Mm. Because I just feel like the old Puerto Rico, no matter what discussions would have, it would it's just it keeps on leaking stuff into the water, so to speak, leaking stuff into our cultural water. And when a per powerful person picks it up, that's where we get problems. So it's like, is Puerto Rico the problem? No, we were a small hobby. There's, there's no, whatever. It's just like, this is what I can affect. And this is, you know, people are still thinking about it. There's plenty of Puerto Ricans. There's plenty of different people who play. And it's like, if I can get a more positive message in the water, maybe I'll, yeah, maybe but and, happen. And, and anyway, no matter what is done with Puerto Rico, the fact that something has been done and that it generates more discussion is always a good thing. Thank you. <laughs> it is definitely generating more discussion. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of like the way that Euro Europeans and Americans are see each other, the way we get along, um, is this a, a fair question to ask? I mean, is there a, a sense among like either European peoples or European like designers that it's becoming harder and harder to kind of design to kind of know what's acceptable. Is it different than it was five, 10 years yes. ago? Okay. Yes, certainly. And it's not only different. I'd say for someone, sometimes it's mysterious. We don't, we have troubles understanding what will be acceptable or not uh, with American. We used to have this uh, with Japan, for example. 
we still have it, but not so much. And we have it more and more uh, with the US. So, so obviously, and here I come back with what I was uh, saying at the beginning. I think it's probably, well, deciding that there are things we should not discuss, there are fantasy worlds we should change, etc., etc. For me, I think it's probably picking the wrong enemy. Mm. I think the, uh, the right enemies in reality and probably not there. Uh, I even think that it's good to have, you know, fascist movie, fascist books and things with which you disagree. They should be there uh, and you should deal with them and speak what you think about them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, so I have, but, so, but yes, obviously, you know, the first game I published was in 1984. Uh, it was called Baston, and it was uh, Barbro in, in France, you know, with uh, rockers and fighting with knives and broken beer bottles and that kind of stuff. And no one took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And if it were published now, I think no one would take it seriously, but everyone would feel obliged, bound to say that it's not acceptable. Mm. Even when everyone will deep inside understand that, okay, they're not taking it seriously. They're not saying that we should kill everyone in the, in the cafe. But it's obvious that we this game, it's not possible to publish such a, such a game today. Mm-hmm. Certainly not. And is that a loss? Uh, is, that a, is that a loss? Is that I, I think, yes. I think yeah. it's a loss. I think it's a loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's also the problem, and maybe this is in... in uh, maybe this is something this is, you know, I don't believe that much in cultural differences. I think we always tend to exaggerate them. Right. Uh, but, but there are a few ones, nevertheless. And uh, I think there is this idea in the American culture that when you make a joke about something, it means that it's something you dislike or you despise. When in the French tradition, it's almost the opposite. We have a proverb that says that the good jokes are about things you love. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so there are things you... It's, interesting. It's, oh, my God. Becoming, it's so interesting. It, it's, it's very strange for me. I say, you cannot joke about this. But why? Why should I not joke about it? And it's it's obvious when making things tough for the American market that there are things where okay, jokes are not acceptable because if you make a joke about this, it's like you are criticizing it. But not if there is no objective critic in it, it's just a joke. Mm-hmm. So I'll shift the example a little bit just to kind of uh, uh, play the point. So let's say um, so. I don't. Do you frequent um, like Facebook and do you get memes uh, often? Sometimes, okay, you you enjoy the, a yeah. good meme like anybody else. 
So yeah. we have a meme in board gaming where one one meme where the the guy is looking, you know, he's he's buying games and then he's constantly looking over his shoulder. Oh, what, what will my wife think? Oh my! I, you know, I I better hide this because my I've wife seen, is not going to be. I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it on Facebook. Yes. There's many many iterations of that meme, but the idea being like there's a guy who just like can't help himself. He wants to make my wall the wall look like me. Uh, all these games on it, and they they are constantly buying stuff and looking over their shoulder to the wife. And so the stereotype being that the wife, you know, the, the wife is going to be you know prudish. They're they're not a gamer. Women aren't gamers. They're not going to understand. They're going to bother me. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Uh, so then it's on the one hand, it's a cute meme, right? On the other hand, the culture struggles with stereotypes about women gamers, that women are not gamers. So then what happens is. And it, yes, it's but just, when you see when you see it, you understand that it's about stereotypes. Right. Well, actually, it's not. I mean, okay. So I'm very fascinated by that because not everybody receives that meme that way. Some people receive the meme, they see the stereotype, and they laugh about it. Some people they see the meme, but they don't understand that it is a stereotype. They think that that's how women are. And there are many, many people in our hobby that still think that women don't game. Gary Gygax thought that. Gary Gygax <laughs> thought that he that you know, women were incapable of playing an RPG. Because I don't know what he thought, but like he thought that, uh, you know, men are able to get into that imaginative headspace and we can calculate uh, stats and no, we can do all uh, that. Uh, right. And, he no, was... and, and actually, statistically, women still play less than men, but it's going. But uh, why... I've seen stats recently. But why it's, is it's that? It's changing. That's what, we're, that's what we're. So is it changing naturally think... or is it changing because folks like us spoke up against the stereotypes that were stopping women uh, from coming? That's what we're asking. I think it's neither one nor the other. I think okay. it's just because, as a general rule, uh, differences in uh, cultural activities between men and women are slowly, slowly receding. And I think it's happening in in board games, like in literature, like in music, like in like in everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know women are going into board games and more boys are reading books. It's <laughs> I think so, okay, so so speaking to I got a lot of women friends in the hobby, they would say that women that it's changing because women are making it change. It's changing because women are speaking up about exclusionary things like these memes or you know these yeah, images yeah. and like mm, and, yeah, and it's yeah, and that's and there's pushback. And they look back, the people that say, oh, it's just a game, leave it alone. Oh, it's just a joke, leave it alone. And the woman's like, no, it's not just a joke. It is a thing that is helping to stop me from enjoying this hobby because it's, it's perpetuating a stereotype. So that's what, that's. I think that's where we are in terms of the culture war fight. Is it serious? Is it not serious? Is it, is it not serious? You know, people think it's more serious, yeah, but it's less serious. But you, you cannot decide that you always act as if everybody's taking things seriously. You know, you know, if... If you act, I would say this as a teacher, if I act as if, or sometimes I may have a few stupid students, I didn't have that many, but if you act as if everybody is stupid, mm. everybody will end stupid. I have to act as if my students were able to understand everything I am saying. 
I know that sometimes there are a few things they want to understand, and maybe they will ask, ask their neighbor. Uh, mm -hmm. And there are a few ones who understand more and less, but I cannot align with the ones who understand the fewest. Or everybody, everybody will be stupid at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I, actually, I agree with you. I, I agree with you in the sense that it, let's say, let's take, go back to the example of the meme. My, my approach is to talk about the meme. I'll fire up a video. I'll discuss what the meme is actually saying. And I'll invite the comments. And you've written in some of my comments. You know how it goes. Like I have, I try to um, accommodate alternative perspectives as much as possible. Right. And I hope that through the discussion, people can realize, oh, yeah, that I can see how that me, I can see how you're seeing that meme. Let me, you know. And so the discussion is valuable to kind of get movement. So that's my thing. And I do, I do think that. Our, you know, folks on our side can get a little bit um, scoldy about, well, you know, you have to see it this way. Right? I, that I agree with. And I try to, you know, model something. Not that I don't want change. I want change. Uh, I want I want more women and more um, diversity. But it's just my way about it is through persuasion and through discussion, not necessarily getting scoldy. So, like, I think what you're saying is you agree with that, you know, and you're kind of looking at, okay, let's work on the scoldy we don't need to we don't need so much of that. <laughs> okay yeah i agree with this we're on this we're we're, we're generous this is what i find with these cross-cultural cross-atlantic you know my friend here is in lyon france and i'm in i'm Hartford, connecticut uh so you know i find with these cross-atlantic conversations when you really talk we like people of goodwill agree on most things you know, people will on most things. And this is a, you know, a, a difference of emphasis. I think that you find more value in just looking at culture the way it is. And I find more value in, okay, finding points where it's, the culture is getting into the water and, and like changing those parts. So, but for the most part, I think we're on the same page of like, okay, we want people to discuss. We want people to change. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, and we can talk about whether the, th the changes that are happening in the hobby are which changes are good and which changes are difficult. So, I mean, I think they were all, we're still working that out. Okay. So you've given me an hour of your time. I want to re I really appreciate um, that you've given me so much time. Is there anything else in this um, conversation that you would like to address? This has been wonderful so far, but if there's anything else you, you have in mind, I would love I, to. You know, I, I don't think I, uh, out of my mind just now, there's nothing I'm thinking of now. Maybe we have another one another day, you know. At some point. We uh, go another direction. My European <laughs> brothers and sisters are always welcome on the show. Uh, I, I value these conversations because I value people uh, who are of good faith who don't think mm. to, think the way I do. Uh, you know, it's it was valuable to me, and especially, you know, that the French approach to humor, right? You make fun of the things that you love. Uh, where Americans, mm. you know, we tend, to, our, our humor tends to be a little bit more militaristic. <laughs> <laughs> We're going after people. <laughs> Little things like that just fascinate me to no end. Uh, okay, so um, you know, you said before that you are you know messing around with some designs. Is that uh, the future for you? Uh, I don't, you know, I will retire as a teacher in a year and a half, I think. I'm becoming quite old. Uh, but I also notice that also probably because I'm becoming old, I have troubles getting really new ideas for game. I think it's more and more kind of re-implementation of ideas I had before. I try to 
I try to keep informed. I try to see what's happening, but but it's becoming difficult. Maybe it will be deal more with books. I don't know. Sure. I, don't know. Well, I have I had a great pleasure writing my big book on unicorns. I'm thinking of a second one, maybe. I don't know. But I will see. And you you want to jump into a board game full time someday or not? I am working on uh well I I'll I'll put it um in a very uh, general way because you know about NDAs and everything. Uh, I have been signed to do a co-design for a board game. Uh, okay. So so the, the 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 ink has been dried. I am working on a a full-time blown out game right now. I'm very excited about it. Like my, I just did a design session yesterday, and my we just we had you know you know how early the game design looks it looks like index cards and cardboard and yeah, magic yeah, marker and all that. So we're that we're there, and this is happening. It's a, so uh, historical you know, setting. Yes, it's a historical setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I'm okay. also um, I'm also a consultant. So like I've actually worked with us, and that's been going on since last year because I did the Puerto Rico thing. But I did. Mm-hmm. It's not that's not the only one. There's many games that are going to have my consulting. So you 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 led right into it. Thank you very much for leading into it. I'm a cultural consultant. Please visit my website shelfstoriesgl.com <laughs> <laughs> if you want to help with your historical game or your fantasy theme, anything that uh, touches upon real world, you know, pre- representations, stereotypes, or etc. I can help you uh, guide through. And, and so this is something that Europeans have. Um, this is a service that I provide because a lot of Europeans they they don't quite know what will hit in the American scene. I can help with that. I can look at your game. I can say, okay, this is the rough part. And so, because I want people to sell games, I want more games. I want more <laughs> themes. You know, so and I want to, you know, it, and it comes out of a place of you know this these cross cultural conversations are hard, and it, this is a new world, changing world. So I want to partner Ooh. with my European brothers and sisters who are selling games. I will help. I want to you know help games be a little bit more accessible to everybody. So you led me right into it, and then we'll see about the actual design stuff. Um, if uh, we'll see how this um this design goes. So <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I, so, I look forward to your thoughts. If, if you actually get it to the table, look forward to your thoughts sometime in a, a year, year and a half, somewhere on there. Perfect. I will try. Absolutely. Bruno Faduti, you have been very, very gracious with your time and your thoughts. This has been a very wonderful conversation across divides. We need more of Thanks, this. Thanks, Jason. And another time. Thank you very much. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.